Travels with John Smith, Year One, Chinese New Year, 2012, Chapter 11, Going to Bangkok, Why You Should Travel When You're Young. We have decided to go to Bangkok to meet with some Canadian friends. We hear there is a VIP overnight sleeper, night bus, that will take us there. We have no idea how long this will take, but decide this sounds like a comfortable, reasonably priced way to go. Red takes us to a bus depot where we buy two VIP night sleeper bus tickets. The agent, in her best Khmerized English, says that we will leave Sinukville at 8 p.m., sleep all night, arrive in Simreap at 6 a.m., and stay at the bus depot, which I imagine to be a quiet place to read a book, drink some tea, etc., and where an hour later we will change to a bus that will take us to Bangkok, passing through the Thai border on the way. The two agents also tell us that we will not be going through Phnom Penh. The manner in which this itinerary rolled off their tongues like fine Cambodian silk enables our dreams of a quick, clean, and luxurious journey. The sleeper bus has the equivalent of double lounge chairs, meaning you can either stretch your legs such that your upper body is at an unnatural 51-degree slant, or you can sleep like spoons in a modified fetal position, your choice. On one side of the bus, there are single seats, on the other, double bunk beds, with a top and a bottom. There is a very skinny aisle between them. The bed coverings are made of hospital mattress cover plastic for, I guess, easy cleaning. They supply one blanket each, which feel like they have been used a few times. I pull out two cotton sarongs and a shawl I brought with me and wrap myself in them. John sleeps on the top of the blanket to avoid contact with the plastic, which, like flypaper, keeps sticking to parts of the skin that are exposed to it. John and I both have dodgy tummies. No need to explain further. To make matters worse, we had to take our shoes off and leave them in a cubbyhole at the front of the bus when we got on. The toilet on this bus is microscopic to begin with, but also crammed into this limited space is a five-gallon pail of water with a pan in it to be used to flush the toilet. The grey water from this container slops over the sides with the constant movement of the bus in and out of the many potholes, so there is about two inches of water, and who knows what else, on the metal floor of this very small toilet. Because of the never-ending thrill-ride movements of the bus, keeping your balance is already quite difficult but also the washroom door does not have a lock on it either, so keeping one limb wedged against the door adds to the fun. The bus does not stop often, so there is really no choice in the matter. 
When you gotta go, you gotta go. They switch off the cabin lights right after 8 p.m. So we are in our cubbyhole in the dark. So even finding the toilet is an adventure. There are spare drivers sleeping in the aisle, so getting to the toilet without stepping on one of them is also a nightmare. We are in the lower bunk that would make even a slightly claustrophobic person scream in absolute terror. We manage to fall asleep after one dangerous trip to the loo and are awakened suddenly by a shrill woman's voice announcing, We have arrived in Phnom Penh. Everyone for Bangkok needs to get off the bus. What the? We throw our belongings together and rush to the front of the bus, scramble to find our shoes in the landfill-type pile of shoes, hurriedly get our suitcases from under the bus and run across to the other bus they are directing us to. We notice this bus is not a sleeper bus and try to find someone to look at our tickets. We also notice this bus is completely full, so show the driver our tickets and the same person who directed us to this bus points back to the bus we had just vacated. We rush back, store our bags quickly, hop on the bus, being sure to take off our shoes and place them neatly in the shoe whirlpool, only to find that our bunk has been given away. We try to explain to the Russian couple who have seized our original and rightful stakehold, but they are not moving. We are given the bunk directly behind the driver on top. This one is free of any claustrophobic feelings, but on the downside only has a small bar at our feet keeping us in. If the dr bus driver decides to slam on the brakes to avoid a herd of skinny white cattle crossing the road, we will be thrown through the large window at the front of the bus. The guy on the single bed across from us listens to our frustration and says, That's Asia, like he is explaining some insider club rules to two idiots. John and I get very little sleep and take turns taking trips to the bathroom through the night and finally get to Seamreap bus station, where it gets worse. The bus pulls into a muddy back alley and then into a dingy yard piled high with garbage. There is what looks like a large shack in the corner of the yard where there is a bathroom at the very back of it. This washroom includes a trough with water in it and water up to the ankles on the floor, a bad smell, and no doorknob. I pull the door shut, do my business, and to my horror, cannot get out. I pull on the door, I push on the door, I pray, shout for help, bang on the door, and finally an amused-looking young woman with a baby on her hip, who I think lives somewhere in the building, arrives like a hero and pulls the door open. No one heard me from outside the building. We wait for a while, and at last a tuk-tuk driver takes us to another part of town, 
to another bus station, which looks more like an office with a couple of plastic chairs outside, and another one of those famous Cambodian toilets inside. There is no cafe nearby, and though I am hungry, I am also feeling ill. John rides off on the back of a motorbike with Mr. Pov, the guy who works at the bus station, whom he has already befriended, to look at possible hotel rooms for when we come back from Bangkok, as we are planning on coming back to visit the temple of Angkor Wat. It is now two hours later. We are taken to another bus depot with no bathroom, where there are loads of people waiting to get on a bus. We wait and get the signal to walk a couple of blocks to where the bus is. We leave our bags beside the bus for storage, and I honestly think I will never see them again. We get on and luckily get seats, as there are clearly not enough seats for all these people. Some people are standing in the aisle not sure what to do, and others are complaining to the driver. The driver says, no problem, and places some plastic chairs, the ones that are everywhere in Cambodia, in the aisle of the bus for the people to sit on. The people in the aisle slide back and forth as the bus moves, and luckily there are no abrupt stops. It is four hours since we left Siem Reap. We arrive at the Thai border and walk and wait in lineups and more walking. It is two hours later and we are told to get into the back seat of an already packed minivan bus. The van is fairly new and shiny, but there is no legroom at all. There is no space under the seats because there is a wooden board stopping us from putting our feet under the seats in front of us. We keep our feet pointing sideways or tiptoe at a very uncomfortable angle for five hours before we get to Bangkok. We are still feeling ill and it is hot with no air at the back at all. We see that we are at last in Bangkok and the driver is letting some of the people sitting near the front out of the van. John shows the driver a piece of paper with the hotel address on it and politely asks the driver and the guide, who hasn't spoken to us for the entire trip, if we can be dropped off anywhere in the vicinity of our hotel. The guide starts yelling at him and signals the driver to pull over. We are told to get out, and the driver pulls our bags from the back and leaves us on the side of the road. We do not know where we are and do not have any Thai money yet. We are not sure what happened, but figure he got us mixed up with this other guy, another Canadian, who was also in the minibus complaining for the five hours we were on it. We walk a little bit and are lucky to find an ATM where we get some Thai money and then a taxi driver who is lovely. He tells us what to watch for in Bangkok and even teaches us some Thai words while transporting us to our hotel. It has now been 24 hours since we left Sinukville and we arrive at our hotel. The front desk staff tells us that they have given our room away as they expected us at 12 noon. 
Luckily, they have another room left, and that room is absolutely lovely. There are cotton sheets and a bathtub, and the room overlooks the swimming pool. Now we are finally in a safe place, and John becomes violently ill. I go out to find a pharmacy and get a taste of the nightlife in Bangkok, just walking along the streets. There is wonderful music coming from a live band playing out in the courtyard of a chic garden restaurant. Vans that pull up to the curb and set up tables and a charcoal barbecue out on the sidewalk. Then start cooking wonderful chicken and seafood dishes with fresh vegetables and fruit. Pretty women stand calling people into uh, street-side shops where they offer massages. Volkswagen vans pull up to the curb, throw up the top, and disco lights shine upwards. They throw down the front and place tall stools all around, and it instantly becomes a sidewalk bar. There are bars and merchandise and food vendors all along the street that gives the impression that you can get anything here in Bangkok. The Murray Head song, One Night in Bangkok, makes sense. I decide it is like Hong Kong, but crazier. I find a pharmacy and an elderly-looking pharmacist and describe what's happening to John. She gets it and gives me some medication that will help John and I get our tummies back to normal. I find a supermarket that has all the foods we have been missing, so after a nostalgic stroll through it, I buy some simple food for my dinner and bring it back to the hotel. I wake up to John saying he feels better, suggesting we should have breakfast and go shopping to celebrate my birthday a few days early. We are greeted by hotel staff asking how he is, and John thinks they are being very friendly until we return to the room and he notices the air vent going directly from the bathroom out into the hall where you can hear everything anyone says or does while in the bathroom. We go shopping and I find various other things I have been missing and at that point we decide we cannot face the same long trip back to Simreep on the bus. So, for my birthday present, John buys plane tickets to fly back to Cambodia. John and I ride the subway to get used to it, and he starts making jokes about the stops. The first stop on the Bangkok Transit System train line after Nana Station is the P-L-O-E-N-C-H-I-T station. This is, of course, heading in the direction of M-O-C-H-I-T, which is the terminus station. Other stops in between include W-A-T-P-H-O and R-A-C-H-A-T-C-H-E-W-I. The stations are called out by an automated voice system as the train approaches. You can well imagine our amazement and surprise to see not one passenger on board, not even so much as flinch, smile, or otherwise bat an eye as we pull into Mo Chit. I find this curiously interesting and I ask my wife Patty, why the complacency? 
Just then, the answer comes in loud and clear. What foe? We are temporarily satisfied and wonder what we should have for lunch when the automated voice again answers, Ratatouille. When we finally come to the end of the line, we are told we are approaching Mo Chit. Not surprising, I guess, after all that ratatouille. So, when you visit Bangkok, be prepared to stop and walk around in plain shit, indulge in ratatouille for lunch, asking yourself, what foe? Well, let me tell you what foe. Mo Chit, that's what foe. Our Canadian friends, Debbie Anderson and Barry Lamb, arrive at the hotel with a couple of friends of theirs, Forrest and Paul. Debbie and Barry have been living in Phuket for the last couple of months, and we thought it would be easier to meet on this side of the world. We decide to go to the restaurant with a live band for my birthday dinner. It is wonderful, great food, fantastic funk, jazz band, and great company. Forrest takes us to see the Wat that houses the Sleeping Buddha near the palace. We hire a Thai guide, who is very nice, but seems to repeat the same things over and over. We wonder if it has something to do with his age, as he mentions something about being around when the original reclining Buddha was constructed, and therefore he must be over 80. There are a couple of pop-up Volkswagen bars right on our street, but the one that plays ABBA music and has a disco ball is crowded, so we choose the one with the Jimi Hendrix music that looks like it's seen better days. John, who hardly ever drinks, decides to order a drink called the Mongolator. It's a drink he hasn't had since 1975. Paul orders one too, but Debbie declines, saying it is a very dangerous drink. She recalls the damage it has done in the past. I have a very flat Coca-Cola and decide that while these bars are very cool, if John is tempted to drink Mongolators, I won't stay in case I'm tempted into anything I might regret later. John and I have an early night. We meet Debbie, Barry, and Forrest for breakfast. Paul is still sleeping, and Forrest says he found Paul sleeping by the swimming pool at about 5 a.m., badly bitten by mosquitoes. We say our goodbyes and take our very comfortable flight to Seam Reap. We are picked up at the airport by Mr. Pov, the guy John befriended a few days ago. He drives us in a very new and luxurious Lexus to Angkor Wat. Thank you.